I tell you, what you have there from the scriptures, the greatest sermon you'll ever hear. That's what the word is. It's the greatest sermon for all of us. And I just come and try to talk about it more. <laughs> That's what I do. Um, as you know, I like to encourage you to read the Word of God as much as possible, and I'm encouraging you, uh, in, in light of this week and in light of today's message, read, read Psalm 16, verse 2. Psalm 16, verse 2. I mean, read the whole psalm, but Psalm 16, verse 2. I encourage you to be praying with someone, and, and as you know, I'm also encouraging you guys to, as you pray, pray about not only the VBS and everything going on, but pray that maybe... God will use you in some fashion to share the word of God, to share the freedom that you have in Jesus with someone, to say you too can be free. And we have these little tracks in the back, in the foyer. As soon as you go back there, go to your right, you'll see them, a bunch of them over there. Take one, hand it out to someone. Don't throw it at someone, hand it. <laughs> Anyways, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Oh, and, and also too, thank you very much for your prayers this week. It, this week has been hard uh, with the loss of... And my aunt and my, and my mom, my mom's sister. It's in this week has been somewhat cloudy uh, for me, even in my own thinking. Um, so, anyways, I, I appreciate your prayers, and my whole family does. So, let's go now to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much uh, for all that you have done. God, you are a good God. We don't deserve anything. We only deserve your wrath. That's it. But you've given us the exact opposite: your grace, your love, your Son. Jesus Christ. God, we ask now that you bless our time together. Uh, bless all the other churches, too, that are meeting around the world uh, in whatever capacity, even currently, as, as, as other churches down this street, Lord, are meeting in your name, Lord. I, we pray that your name be magnified and that we're able to just be uplifted by what your Son has accomplished for us. And we just declare your mercies to all people and to ourselves everywhere we go. God, thank you for giving us uh, the, the freedom to come and gather in your name. God, it is so good because there are churches around the world that are having to do it in secret, underground. And, and the mere mentioning of your name brings death. But really, we know it brings life. But to the world, Lord, they have rejected you. So, Lord, I, we pray for all those churches and missionaries and Christians and doing whatever they do, Lord, to glorify you. Be with them. And God, be with us to uh, help us, Lord, to repent of our sins. God, I know there's so much sin in my life and, and that really, in the end, I am the greatest sinner that I know. And Lord, I pray that's how, that's how all of us are, Lord, that we're so busy looking at our own sins and how you've forgiven rather than looking at other people's sins saying how, how much better we are or something. Lord, I just... I just pray that you just melt our hearts from the sin and, and, and just make us flee from them and cling to the cross with empty hands of faith. Thank you, Lord, for your hope and, and mercy. Thank you for salvation. And fill us, Lord, with hope, love, and peace so we can live our faiths that we have in you consistently in this world and spur each other on to do the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you know, as you know, one thing that always needs to be stressed over and over again, and which I do and, and we do here, is that the message of the gospel of the grace of God is where all your freedom comes from in this world. You can't say that enough. This, this is a message that gives us hope, gives us security and confidence. It gives us our joy and it gives us our peace. 
That's what the gospel does. It's a message that that brings liberty and freedom to our lives in this world that is really so burdensome and oppressive and brutal. We like to hide that, but in reality it is. I mean, this, this message is what gives our lives purpose. It gives us direction. It, it enables us to see beyond just the moment and into eternity. To see the greater, greatest, greater purpose in all things. You know, it opens our eyes to, to see the truth about our world and, and about ourselves and about our God. And, and, and it says, look, this, this world is no longer upon your shoulders. It was placed upon the shoulders of another. His name is Jesus. This weight of trying to become someone of significance in whatever, wherever you are in your life to prove yourself is no longer upon you anymore. Or, or the very opposite. No longer do you have to be frozen or paralyzed by the weight of the world upon you and give in to hopelessness. You're free from that. For this message says that God saw us, all of us, on this path of just pure death and hate and destruction and chaos. God looked down upon us all and saw how we were just running aimlessly in the dark, blinded by our sins, grasping at nothing, following after the promise of sin, which it could not fulfill, but only take from us the things it promises it actually takes just leading us more and more to our doom, God saw us helpless and defiant towards Him, saying we can do this thing called life on our own even though we're drowning in our sins. Even though with every step we took, we became more and more enslaved to our sins and more and more rebellious against Him and His ways. Yet this this loving And graceful God looked upon us sinners and gave up His Son to save us, to set us free, to give us rest and peace before Him in this world. God sent Jesus Christ to do the absolute impossible for you and I. Jesus came to bring restoration between a holy God and rebellious, wretched sinners such as you and me. Christ came to grant us forgiveness, justifying us before God to establish peace between us and God and give us eternal life so that we can be the children of God forever, all through faith in Him alone. Through Christ coming to this earth, Christ lived the very life that you and I could not live. He died the very death that we deserved. And He came back to life to give us what we could never earn. Christ completed once and for all salvation for everyone who places their faith in Him. And this salvation through faith alone in Him, not by what we do for Him and and not by what we we can, can do for Him, but salvation that we receive through faith in Christ is what saves us now completely. This is why the gospel is so freeing. For all the work for us to be right with, with God and stay right with God has been all been done in Jesus Christ. That's the struggle. That's hard to, 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 to think about. 
There is nothing. There's not one ounce of us trying to work ourselves to God. There's, not, there's none of this trying to climb to this mountaintop to meet and establish a connection with God to gain his favor and love and kind of earn something from him. Look, look what I have done. I came up this far. So then we can have meaning and purpose and direction because we, we gave it up at all to, tr- to try to get there. No. God came to us and is now with us fully by faith alone in Christ. God came to us and is with us through faith in His Son. He met us. When we didn't want to meet Him, He came to us and met us and now is with us. He is now guiding us and and protecting us and loving us and working all things, all things, doesn't matter what it is, all things for our good in Him now through faith in Christ. Even if you can't see it or feel it, it's happening. He will never leave us, for he is faithful to us, even when we're not faithful to him. And this is another reason why the gospel is so freeing, because our failures and sins are no longer held against us anymore. Though people hold them against us, he doesn't. No, they no longer have a power over us anymore. We are free from the power of sin in our life. You and I, by faith in Christ, no longer need to freak out about what we have done in the past and worry that God is going to make us pay for all the sin and wrong that we have done. That God is going to say, look, I love you, but you know, you kind of have to make up for what you did. You know, what you did in the past. You have to make up for that. I can't just let those things go, you know. You know, justice has to be served. I mean, that's how this world works. That's not how God works with us. That's no longer true for you and I. Christ upon the cross, upon that cross, justice has been fully served over you and I. Our debt has been paid. Condemnation has been removed completely over us by faith in Christ. This gospel is good news. And also, we don't have to worry about our sins in the present. We don't have to live in this mindset that God is building up His anger He's becoming angrier and angrier with us because of our current sins. We don't have to worry that our present sins are going to break His favor and love over us. Not at all. Why? Because Christ has quenched His wrath upon, because of our sins, quenched His wrath because of our sins upon the cross. He took the eternal wrath of God for us in our place, so we can only experience God's love and favor and blessings in our life, no matter how much we do not deserve it because of our sins now before Him. The gospel's good news. Nor do we have to worry about our future, that somehow we will mess things up, that maybe our greatest sins and our greatest failures are still coming our way, And that we're going to end up falling into them and then we're going to lose our peace with God over us. That our destination of eternity with God in heaven might be taken away. That this hope of glory with Christ will, will be forever removed from us because of our poor and sinful choices in this life. That's also not true over us. For through faith in Christ, 
When he said it was finished upon the cross, he meant it and he established it. For all is done in Christ now. The gospel is good news. Not good news that you get a second chance. Not good news that you get a third and fourth chance to start again. No, it's good news for it says that through faith in Christ, you wake up every day and live every day in the unconditional favor and love and grace of God at all times in your life, despite your poor and imperfect performance before him. Yes, even the sin against him, that when you do it and you turn your back on him for a moment and revel in your pathetic sin, when you do that, and if you don't think you don't, oh, you do. His love and favor and grace will not be removed over you. The gospel is good news. You and I have true rest now in Christ by faith in Him because of His faithfulness to us. And this gospel message through faith in Christ then will have major consequences in our life. I mean, how can it not? I mean, it's a message that says we are now free because of the grace of God in our life and everything he gives us now is not earned but freely given to us out of his love all by faith in Jesus. And not only that, but we are now free from this world because we find our everything in him now and not in the world around us. Whereas one time we were spiritually dead and in bondage of sin in our life where it dictated who we are and what we do. We are now alive and free from its power and rule over us. We are spiritually alive to God. See, this gospel of grace of God states that the God who is the creator of everything, sustainer of everything, and is over everything is now our personal everything. For we now find our everything in Him because of what Christ has done for us. We are a liberated people of God now in this world that's full of death and sin. That's what you are if you have faith in Christ. Nobody's going to take that away. Not even you. He freely then enables us to live as His free people as we go to Him by faith alone. This, this, <laughs> this is a major and natural consequence then of having faith in Christ. He enables us to live free. We experience our liberation more and more than as we rely upon uh, by faith in Him. That's, that's the struggle. That's the adjustment that we have in this world is to live this free life. We always want to go back. To the bondage. And he's like, no, you're free. Paul, Paul then here, in, in these last chapters of Ephesians that we've been going over then, um, has been going over what these freeing consequences are then when we look to the good news by faith alone. He has been going over what, what it looks like to have faith or to have Christ in our life, to have Christ as our everything. He's revealing that. So it's not so abstract. For just as we were freed by the grace of God through faith in Jesus, God then enables us and works within us by faith in Jesus to live by his grace, to live a life of freedom. So Paul then has been operating in this mindset, which is very important. 
to understand this mindset of you are now, therefore, X, Y, Z. For that's how this whole book of Ephesians is written, basically. He has stated in chapters 1 through 3 that God the Father through God the Son has done everything for us by faith in Jesus. And now in these latter chapters of 4 through 6, he's revealing that God the Father is working in us, that he is our everything as we live our life through his Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. You are now, therefore, X, Y, Z. So Paul has been stating since chapter 4 this principle as we look upon these verses that you are free in Christ. Therefore, live as a free person of Christ. Live from your freedom, not to get your freedom. You are already free, so live that way. And Paul then has been getting like really personal with us and with them. And he's going to continue to do so. He's going to go deeper and deeper and deeper. He's been kind of going over like this fine-tooth comb, revealing sin after sin, saying they no longer have power over us and that we are free from them in our life. And now in chapter 5, verse 1, which is our text today, he is setting it up again. He did a whole thing in chapter 4, and he's going to do it again here in chapter 5 to give us another motive to flee from our sins and run to the ways of God. So our title today is, You Are Loved by God. So let's look at the text then in chapter 5, verse 1. It says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Now this statement, I mean, it should make you do like a double take and then a retake and then maybe like two more takes. Because what's being stated here is an extraordinary calling upon our lives. It's not like, oh, imitate God, okay. Wait, what? I mean, that in, the, in our ordinary way of life, in what we find simple, mundane, we have this absolute extraordinary call upon us in how we are to live our lives. We are to be imitators of God. Or more accurate to the Greek here, it says that, that word be means become. So become imitators of God. So... With that statement, be or become imitators of God, we can easily run off into heresy. So real quick, um, it's important to understand what he means here in the context. Paul is not saying become a God yourself. Okay, like, no. Okay, don't go down that path or that line of thought. You're like, you have to, I have to imitate God. You have to act, I have to act like God. You have to treat me like, nope, nope. That lie and horrible idea of a lie was... That, that's what Satan told Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden in chapter 3 and made us fall into sin in the first place. So don't, don't, that's not what Paul's getting at at all in this sense of this passage. And this brings us to our one and only point today, if you forget everything else I say. You are loved by God, therefore love like God. Now in the direct context of the, of the preceding verses of, of chapter 4, verse 31, Paul has spoke about God's loving kindness and forgiveness towards us. Hence, this is why Paul starts off with this passage we are looking today with, therefore, or because of, right? Because of God's loving and kindness and forgiveness towards us, which is kind of all about love. And then we see the preceding verse in verse 2, which speaks about Christ's love. What he's getting that is that we are to reflect or imitate the character of God in our life in all things, in all interactions, with all the people 
that we come across with. And his main focus then of verse 1 is imitate God's characteristic of love for us, which is why he says, as beloved children. That's his focus. Yes, imitate all the other things, but really focus on the idea of love here. We are to reflect the way God has treated and is treating us in his love as his ever solely dearly beloved children. We are to reflect and imitate that kind of love in our life. That is something that we could never do beforehand, before we knew God. Imitating the character of God, and and for the direct context, focusing more on his love, this was not possible for us before in anything, no matter how seemingly loving it was, it was not imitating the love of God at all because of our separation from God because of our sins. We could not imitate his love because we were not his children at one time. But now we are his children by faith in Christ. So with that said, Paul then is now commanding us to imitate the characteristic of God's love now in our life with all people. Now you might be thinking, well, the gospel is rest and good news, but this seems kind of more like bad news. Because God's character and love is perfect in all things at all times. His love is unconditional. And both you and I know we will never be able to reflect his perfect character and love in any situation. I mean, think about it. We have a hard enough time reflecting his love with our close family members. And even still, we blow it there because of the hurt or frustration that they cause us at times, or at least I know I do. How are we supposed to love non-family members like that? who we don't have close connections with, and people that we don't even like. How is that even possible? I mean, it does say become or increase in to look for more ways and opportunities to be an imitator of God's love in our life. But God, God is perfect. We're not. We will never be perfect on this side of eternity, for we will struggle with sin until we die. So this command is huge when we really think about it in all honesty. The Almighty God who is holy, just, and righteous, He is all good and merciful and gracious and loving in every sense of the word and even beyond what we can fully comprehend. He has no beginning and no end. And though we're not called to reflect that type of existence in our life, right? Because we're just creatures. We have a beginning. We're just made from the dust of the earth. When you think about it, though, His love, though, is grounded in that infiniteness infiniteness, and perfection. I mean, the Bible says in 1 John 4.18 and 4.16 that God is love. I mean, that's an infinite love, right? It's grounded in Him. It comes from Him infinitely. And it it all comes in all perfection because He is perfect. And He knows how to do it the right way because He does all the right things. So how will you imitate that type of love? I mean, how could we possibly live to that such a standard? How is it even possible to grow in, in, towards that infinite, perfect standard? How do we do that? How are we to imitate God with just even this one characteristic of love that goes beyond what we can even fathom that he has towards us sinners? And that's the point. That's what Paul is getting at. Paul is saying this to you and I so that we have to stop in our tracks... Like, hey, slow down. 
He wants us to see that we and in ourselves are incapable of imitating such an amazing love that he has shown us as his children. Completely unable in our own power to imitate his love. A love that is so great that it came for us even though we wanted nothing to do with him. A love so amazing that it continues with us and towards us even though we sin against him directly. Yes, so when you sin against other people, you're actually sinning against God. Just know that. So Paul is wanting us then to stop dead in our tracks with this passage so we do not grow in our independence of being imitators of God in our life. Like we think we can do this on our own and figure it out on our own. Well, I'm just going to go love them. Well, good luck. Thinking, well, God, you got me here to be, you know, to be your child. And now that, 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 that he has me there, he wants me to imitate his love like a good boy or good girl. I got, I got to do it. I got to do it. Me, 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 me. I got to show him I can be loving. Paul isn't saying that. He's not saying, look, muster up your own wisdom, your own strength, your own courage to intimidate God's loving, uh, to uh, imitate God's loving character with people. We can't. You can't. You couldn't do it in the first place. You can't do it now. Rather, He is saying we are to, by faith in Christ, to grow in our dependence upon God to have his loving character be reflected through us in his life. Like like the children we already are. Children are fully dependent upon their parents for everything. Everything so too are we to be fully dependent upon our God, our Father, for everything, including how to love. Remember, this exhortation or command, if you will, as with all other commands in the Scripture, are there to remind us as Christians, to remind us that we can't do this on our own. We are to remember that we have, the, and, and call us to remember that we have a Father, though, who provides everything for us now and will freely give us all we need. So we run to Him to empower us to do the very things He asked, just like a child would. For in and of ourselves, we don't know how to do it. We just know who can provide it. For example, When my son was two, I know he's three now, he's all grown up. No, when he was two, okay, follow me here. When he was two, I would tell him to clean up his room. And he would look at me really perplexed, not knowing where to start or even how to start. For he's a child. He doesn't really comprehend what that even looks like or what I'm even asking. But he wanted to do it. Because he loves me. So he would always ask for my help and to show him how. For he knows I love him and will provide for him the very answer that I required from him. And because I love him, I did help him. Even though he messed up things along the way and sometimes even made a bigger mess. Things got cleaned up, though, out of love. Why? Because I was with him the whole time. And in some sense, I was cleaning the room through him as he depended upon me for it. 
So the idea then in this verse, when Paul is saying, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, he is is saying you are to imitate God's character only when when you go to him to enable you to do such things and by faith in Christ, but you see you are fully dependent upon him for everything as his children. And, And more specifically for our context, when you see him as your sole source of all the love that you need in this world. Realizing over and over again how he is your father who loves you unconditionally and freely gives you his love now, not because of anything you can do or or can do or have done, but simply through faith in Christ. When you dwell that all is done, all is finished, all has been acquired, and all whatever you truly need is found in the Lord, this is what brings contentment in all that we are and frees us then to imitate the love that we have in our life from Him to those around us. So this is what it means then on a very practical level. If I've been too abstract here, come back and pay attention to this, okay? Because we have our identity in the Lord as His beloved children which means, you know, his dearly beloved ones. We are free from looking for love ultimately from the people around us. You're free from that. We are free from living to get love. We are free from living in this world to feel love, to get that feeling of love in our life. You're free from that. We are free from living in this world to gain people's love towards us. Rather now, we are living from love, from God's unconditional love over us. So if anything, we are now free to give our love to people and need nothing in return as we look to the gospel of the grace of God in our life. How can that not revolutionize your relationships then in this world? I mean, with your spouse, with your family, with your co-workers, with strangers. You're not... Life becomes about focusing on Him and His unconditional, nev- uh, unconditional never-ending love over us through His gospel... Instead, I'm going to say this again, instead of focusing on what others are lacking in their giving of their love towards us. Doesn't that, isn't that what causes all the problems? You're not giving me enough love. I need this. We get to say we kind of don't care. I mean, not in a mean way. Not in a mean sense, but we end up not caring because it is not needed for our contentment. It's not needed for our security. It's not needed for our peace. It's not needed for our rescue or our, or our identity in this life. We have all the love we need in Jesus. The burden of doing things to get love or feel love is removed. Sin no longer holds power over us to live a life of desperation, looking for love in all the wrong places and in the wrong things to make life all about ourselves rather than the other. That's freeing. It frees us from holding this looking for love over people's heads 
and to have them meet our expectation of love for us. I mean, how many times do we do that with even those closest to us? For all of our love is found in God's love over us. Our life then in Christ is redirected to give love instead of being in bondage of always looking for love to satisfy us. For we now have the true source of love in our life. For we know that even though we fail to love God as we should, His love does not fail or leave us. And this is what motivates us to love Him all the more and enables us to love others who fail to love us in return or don't love us at all. See, the more we rest in Christ and His never-ending love over us through faith in Him, the more we run to Him as His beloved children, we will fulfill this command. To even those who are our enemies, even to those who you think it is impossible to love because they offend you so much and are a stench in your own nostrils. Not just because they didn't brush their teeth. For it will happen, not in your own strength, but through his love and grace over us. You are loved by God, therefore love like God, by looking to Christ, by faith alone in him. And this will happen even in the moments where you think it's impossible. For with man it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. So let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to bless us with his love, even more so we can just freeingly give it to all. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for being so awesome, truly awesome. Thank you for being so loving. Thank you for being so kind and patient. Thank you for being so gracious with us. God, help us reflect that love to those around us, Lord. If there's, I mean, I know it's a broken world and we're dealing with broken people everywhere God, in, in marriages and in families and, and maybe workspaces or, in, in, or uh, you know, people's neighborhoods, Lord, remind us of the freedom that we have because we have all the love we need. Help us, Lord, to stop placing that expectation on people for the true expectation of love has been set in your Son and given to us. Help us, Lord, to just trust in you and to freely give love to people and declare your mercy to each other and to ourselves. Help us, Lord, to flee from our sins, to flee from selfishness and self-centeredness, and to flee towards you so we become selfless as you are selfless. And we become loving as you are loving, and we become patient as you are patient, and we become kind as you are kind. And we speak the truth as you speak the truth. God, you are so good. God, if someone doesn't know you here today, I pray that they come to know you today. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. And if you would like to.